Hey guys, you're listening to episode 36 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. In this episode, we'll sit down with Morgan Jackson, Senior Vice President of Faith Comes by Hearing. Welcome to the show. My name is Cody Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. In this interview, we get to chat with Morgan Jackson from Faith Comes by Hearing. Morgan's parents founded the organization in 1972 with a strong conviction to share the gospel and an unwavering commitment to God's calling for their lives. Since then, God has used this ministry in all kinds of amazing and unpredictable ways. Today, Faith Comes by Hearing partners with over 400 organizations to freely provide the gospel in audio and visual formats to over 80% of the world's population. In the process of sharing the gospel to people groups all over the world, Morgan learned the importance of translating scripture into the primary language of each group and recording it so that a village can come together and hear it communally. So far, Faith Comes by Hearing has done this for over 1,500 languages, and the results have been truly astounding. Keep listening to hear how modern technology and solar-powered devices called Proclaimers are helping to transform the lives of people all over the world. Before we get started, I just wanted to ask one big favor of you guys right now. If you've been listening to the show for some time and want to support what we're doing, one very easy and free way to do that is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Write whatever you like about the show, and you'll help others find us. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. And with that, let's get to the interview. All right, here we are with Morgan Jackson from Faith Comes by Hearing. Morgan, I'm really excited for a lot of the work that you guys are doing and, and to hear a little bit about your story. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. My honor, my honor. So why don't you get us started right there with a little bit of your personal story and how you got to where you are today? All right, well, I was born in Southern California. My mom and dad were new believers. My dad had come to faith in his early 20s. He had lived in orphanages and foster homes in a broken family from the time he was four and 12, till he was 12. So when he came to faith in Christ, it was radical because he really didn't understand how to live life. He had a fear of death. He was angry. Gone to college. He was a manager, doing well, but was empty. And so he didn't know how to raise kids. He didn't know how to be a loving husband. And so he took the Bible as his book. This is the book that's going to teach me how to do it. And so he just believed everything in it and whatever it said, he did. And so when I was 12, I had an older brother, 13, little brother, 11, sister of nine, living in Upper Ohio, California. My dad came home and he had been at a business meeting and driving. And he had just finished reading a book called Answers to Prayer by George Mueller. And this book really hit him because George Mueller talks about just raising a thousand orphanages, never asking anybody for anything, just praying and the Lord providing. And he felt like the Lord knocked on his heart and said, that's what I want you to do. So he came home to my mom and said, I, you know, has God been talking to you? Because I think we're supposed to, you know, (laughs) kind of have a mobile form of living and And we're just supposed to follow the Lord wherever, and he'll take care of us. And mom was like, yeah, I think that's exactly what the Lord wants. And 
Now, being a good business guy, he'd already figured out that he needed about $600 a month. This was in 68, 69. He had property. If he sold the property, did a wrap on another piece of property that he would probably have about $500 and God would only have to make up $100 until we sold the one property. They were never paid, so we had to repossess it. By the time we sold it again, it was a break-even. The second property that we owned free and clear burnt down. <laughs> and so wow. evidently God wasn't going to let him live on his own money. So we ended up, my mom thought we were going to be an Airstream with a Suburban. We ended up with a 1968 Volkswagen and then a 1954 school bus that my dad converted into a house car. Moved us all in and we went to the Navajo Reservation where my dad thought he was going to win all the Navajos to Christ. And within two months, we were out of money. And he was like, Lord, what's going on? And and so he had had an agreement with God that if we were out of money, we would assume two things. Either we were fired or we were out of God's will. And we'd always figure we were out of God's will first. And so he started praying with my mom. And he felt like the Lord spoke to him and said, all I want you to do, somebody had given him a Dake's annotated Bible, is go out into the desert eight hours a day, read the Bible eight hours a day. That's all I want you to do. And I'll pay you. And my dad was like, what? You know, we were already living in the most remote post office in the United States, Camp, Arizona. And he was like, if somebody doesn't see me working, they're not going to feel moved to give us money. This doesn't make any <laughs> sense. But he thought, you know, if we're going to go down, let's go down listening. My mom's parents, her mom had died when she was two. So her parents were not connected. My dad's parents, you know, stepdad were not Christians, so they... We're hoping we'd fail quick and get back to reality. So he did it. And within a week, the first monies came in. And after that, the next six months, God paid him just to read the Bible and to pray. And he had been teaching people. What God had taught him was to listen and listening prayer. And that's really what we traveled and did for the next four years. We went from Navajo Reservation to Hippie Community to Christian Farm to the Hopi Reservation to all over, mostly in the Southwest. And my dad loves to try the Bible out. And so I always remember one summer, we were headed across the country, and my dad said, listen, hey, we don't know anybody along the way, so let's try the Scriptures out. The Bible says, when you enter a strange town, inquire who's worthy and stay with them. Let's see if that works. So we'd pull into a town, and my mom and dad would take turns, and there'd be kind of this moment of prayer. Well, do we go to the grocery store, or the clothing store, or the gas station? Where do we go? And we'd pull up into one of those, and my dad would walk in and say to the, whoever, they'd come up and say, can we help you? And my dad would say, yeah, we're missionaries. And the Bible says when we enter a strange town, we're supposed to ask who's worthy and stay with them. Can you tell us who's worthy? And they'd be like, what? <laughs> and so we'd repeat it. And, you know, they always knew. And so you'd get a call. Somebody say, hey, Galen, you know, my son's in a Bible study you do, and we got some missionaries here, and I know you're you're into missions. Could you come down and talk to them? And so you'd be like, okay. So you'd come, and you'd see the bus, four kids, my mom and dad, and your immediate reaction would be, oh, no, not one of these. You know? <laughs> <laughs> not those kind of people. You'd come up. But you know, there's that in 60 seconds, you kind of know that somebody's from the Lord or not. And you'd shake my dad's hand, and there'd be that sense and you'd call your wife and say, honey, I got some people coming home, throw on some extra hamburgers. I'll explain it when I get there. And so we traveled across the country that way. And I found 
that Scripture worked. Now, my dad didn't try to make us a part of the ministry, meaning that we were on display, you know, we were supposed to sing or dance or do it. We came along. They were the ones that did ministry. We were invited to attend, to be a part. They informed us when we were down to a nickel, but never with fear. Just here, we're down to a nickel. Let's see what God does. And my dad and mom lived by faith for 12 years, and he kept track, and they kept the demand at $600 for 12 years, and within $50 every year of $7,200 is what they received. So the last place God sent us was Albuquerque, New Mexico. He was standing, looking over the city and felt the Lord say, I want you to bring the church together and make disciples. He had a school bus and 50 bucks. <laughs> he was like, what? You know, how do you bring the church together? Pastors are preaching, the Baptists preach against the Pentecostals, the Pentecostals preach against Catholics against the Protestants, Protestants against all the, you know, you'd have to kill all the pastors. And, you know, how do you do this? And so we started the ministry called Hosanna initially. It was a tape loan library. It was just when cassettes had come out, and so people had been sending us all these cassettes of Bill Bright, J. Vernon McGee, all these wonderful preachers and teachers, Walter Martin. And so along with other missionaries, they pulled together all these tapes and made a library, and that library became Hosanna. And eventually there was some 300 libraries around the country, provided blank cassettes, duplicators, but immediately the Bible. We found American Bible Society had recorded the King James Revised Standard Bible for the blind, and it was on these big records. And so we found the records, called them, said, can we put it on cassette? They said, well, we made it for the blind. It's public domain. We didn't copyright it. So we did that, put it in the library, and then we found out that all the people like you and us who are busy, business people, are in the car, we're like, man, that's cool. I can listen to it in my car. Wow, you know, when I'm doing the dishes or whatever, I can listen to Scripture. When I'm going to sleep at night and have a hard time, I can listen to it. And so we started having people buy them. Well, my dad in the mid-70s was reading through the New Testament once a week, and he kept running into the Scripture in Romans, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And he was like, I wonder if that's true. Because he had just run a study that said that less than 12% of American Christians had ever read the whole Bible. And 65% had never read the New Testament. And so he was going, what is going on? So he thought, well, it says faith comes by hearing. So what he did is he said, let's get five churches. So he sent out a newsletter. We'll loan all the Bible on cassettes that are needed to a church if they will get half of their members to agree to listen to half a cassette a day, which was 45 minutes a day at that time, and go through for three months and monitor how many salvations, how many baptisms, what's your attendance, what's the participation. So what we did is we studied those things. Well, at the end of it, all areas had gone up, but two areas, spiritual and participation, had gone up dramatically. And the churches were having a revival. One said, hey, we've never had money for missions. We've got so much coming in. And we hadn't measured tithe, but every church reported that tithing and giving had gone up dramatically. So we say, ah, oh, we got the answer. And then we do what all of us missionaries do. Effectiveness is distribution. So here we had a program. We produced the audio Bible, $12, 12 tapes. And we found only 2% of Christians went to a Christian bookstore in a given year. And those are the readers. So we went to the churches and we started calling them saying, listen, 80% of your people aren't reading the Bible. 
We've got the audio Bible, audio New Testament, $12, 12 tapes, unconditionally guaranteed. And we went from 2,000 to 20,000 to 200,000 to 800,000. We went from 12 people to 246 using 20 million cassettes a year. And we were just working with 50,000 churches a year. I mean, I had 54 people on the phone calling pastors. But we were getting 15 testimonies a year from 800,000 people. We had lots of, oh, we love it. But testimonies of transferred life to only 12, 15. And so my dad started saying, something's not right. Who's getting these? So I was running that side of the organization. So I, you talk to a 1,000 pastors a day, it's pretty quick. You can find out the pastors, the Sunday school teachers, you guys, all the Bible readers. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we were aiming for the stomach, and we hit them right in the head. And so we were missing them. And so we made a decision in 87 as an organization, we would not hire another worker until we found a way to get the 80% of people in Scripture. And of course, I had staff coming to me. Here's a little ministry, Albuquerque, New Mexico. You know, we were the largest producers of audio Bibles, but, you know, we're a little known place. How in the world are we going to do what no ministry, no pastor has ever done? And so for four years, we went from 246 people down to 88. And we just, we failed, 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 until finally we had a 40-day listening program that we created where a pastor preached, taught, challenged, invited everybody to listen. And if they would listen, they would get a free audio Bible, and then they would take up a donation afterwards. And the pastor called the program Faith Comes by Hearing. And I'd love to say we created that name, but it was a pastor of a church, and he said, and it was like, that's it. And so we said, we got it. So we grabbed that name, Faith Comes by Hearing, and it became the name of the program. And what we found in the United States was that if a pastor would set aside a 40-day period of time, people listening 28 minutes a day, and then they would preach, challenging every member of the church to join them in listening through the New Testament. And then we had created the Bible dramatized. So we had 180 voices, sound effects, music. If they would play a portion so people could hear, oh, this is not boring, it's interesting. And then challenge everybody, hey, I want you to listen. How many of you spend some time in your car every day? And every, you know, everybody cautiously raised their hand. All right, <laughs> all I want you to do is take the time in your car because the average American spends 45 minutes. So if I can give half that time, you're going to go through the New Testament. So one pastor just said, he had 3,000 members. And he said, I'm going to be out at the front of the parking lot. There's just one way in, one way out. When you go by me, I want to hear Matthew 1 playing as you leave. So you take those cassettes, you put them in. And so suddenly we went from getting 20% of the people to where we were getting 70 to 100% of the people who were signing up and listening through, and it became a habit. Now we were getting 30, 40, 50 testimonies from a single church. And we had spiritual warfare like you could not believe. Suddenly, you know, if we called a church a week before they did the program and prayed with them, 80% of the churches would do it. If we didn't pray with them, 80% did not. Because Satan was coming at all corners to try to get them not to do it. Because before he didn't care. We were just getting people who were in the Bible and the Bible. But now we were getting what I call the devil's own. People that looked like sheep but weren't. And they were getting the Word of God, and they were changing and transforming. And these these were his folks. These were the hypocrites. Now they're not hypocritical anymore. Their marriages are healed. And, and so that began to grow. Now, at the same time that was happening, we started having Bible societies and Wycliffe Bible translators coming to us. And they were saying, 
hey, you guys are the largest producers of audio Bibles in the world. What are you doing for me? I translated the Bible, and, and when we printed the Bible, the Bibles came back without pages. And we said, where are the pages, Pastor? And they said, well, Pastor, you know, we can't read. And so you told us that man can't live by bread alone. And so what we do is we just tear a page out of the Bible every day. We tear it up and we put it in the soup and we eat it. And we need another Bible because we ate the first one. <laughs> then we heard from Nigeria. They buy four Bibles whenever they build a house. Because they've heard if you build your house on the Word of God, it won't fall. And so they pour the cement and they put a Bible in each corner or under each one of the rocks. And so we found people eating Bibles, sleeping on Bibles, putting Bibles on rafters to ward away evil spirits, sleeping on them to ward away evil dreams. And we were like, I don't know about you, but we thought a miracle happened. Bible translators were heroes. You know, they went out. With one hand, they translated Bible. With the other hand, they taught literacy. With the other hand, they, they planted churches. And, and when they were done, 200,000 people just knew how to read. Just bam. They just knew it. Had no clue. And so suddenly we became aware and people started inviting us. And probably one of the key events that happened was Romulo Sanye. He was a Quechua Indian, came to us in like 1988. And he had translated the Bible into Ayacucho Quechua. And at that time, the Shining Path was a Maoist terrorist group. And it was warring with the government of Peru. And, and the churches got caught in the the crossfire. And so pastors were killed. His own grandfather had been killed the week before he came to see me, knocked down by the terrorists on horses, told to deny Christ. If not, they cut off a finger. And one by one, they cut off all his fingers. He wouldn't deny Christ. And so then they said, they scalped him. He wouldn't, took his tongue and said, with his tongue, you preach the gospel. And they cut his tongue out. And then slicing him open while he was still alive, they took his beating heart and ate it. This is what was happening. And he had translated the Bible. Open Doors was helping him smuggle Bibles into the mountain communities, but he found them hanging from rafters. He said, my own mother can't read the Bible I've translated. So he had recorded it. So when he came in to our ministry, he was like, wow, can you help us? Now, we were a self-supported nonprofit. We asked no gifts, and we ran like a business. We sold what we sold. We were a nonprofit. We made profits. We turned them back into mission. We maybe had $10,000 in donations on a $7 million income. And so we had no money. So I was like, ah, uh, <laughs> you've recorded it. So I called the guy that was a missionary that had had it in his garage for two or three years. I said, FedEx it, I'll pay for it. He FedExed it. And then I said, well, how many Quechua's are there? And he said, well, 21 million. We speak 28 different languages. And I'm like, what? So the largest Indian group in the, the Americas. And I said, okay. Your translation is what? He said, Ayacucho Quechua. And I said, well, how many are there? And he said, two million. Now I'm thinking, okay, an audio Bible, at that time it was cassette. The people are illiterate. They're poor. They got no electricity. So I'm thinking, we're going to have to buy a cassette player. We're going to have to provide a set of cassettes. We're gonna, for each person, that's two million. You know, I'm just, I'm running the numbers and I'm going, there ain't no, we, 200 million, we ain't got enough money to do that. There's no way. And he saw the look in my face and he goes, no, 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 Morgan. He said, every village will have a cassette player. And if you'll provide one audio Bible per village or per church, he said, we'll sell a sheep or something to get batteries. But he said, we're communal. We'll all come together to listen. And it was my first beginnings to understand that 70% of the world was oral and they live in community. 
you know, we come in, our garage door goes up and comes down and that's it. But you go to Africa, everybody's on the street, everybody's moving around. And in a village, everybody comes at night, sits down, tells stories, sings, just hangs out. So I'm like, okay. So our staff got together and raised money. We did bake sales. We did whatever because we didn't know how to raise. We, we didn't have donors. We just had ourselves. And we raised money for 300 And he took them back and took him several days to get a plane to take them up to Ayacucho. And it was dangerous. But word had gotten out. And 700 leaders or pastors showed up in Ayacucho, the town of Ayacucho, sleeping in caves, sleeping on the fields, waiting because they heard the word of God was coming in an oral form in their language. And their village had sent them to get one. And when they showed up, there was only 300. Now, we were cut to the heart, you know, to have 400 people. Some of them had come seven days walking, catching rides to get there. And then they took them back. And when they went back to their villages, six, seven days, they'd ring the bell in the village and the whole community would come together and they take out that audio Bible and they push the button and people would start hearing the word of God for their own language. And now we were thinking, okay, you know, all these people are illiterate. We're going to provide an audio Bible to disciple them. But then we were getting reports back that 31 different villages were being reached by one set of cassettes, 26 cassettes. Well, what happened is they're communal. So mom and dad come to help shear the sheep or harvest the potatoes. And as they're in my village that week, they're listening to the Bible that we've got in Quechua, their language for the first time. They thought God only spoke Spanish. They're like, what? You got to bring it to us. So they've got to bring it once a week. One cassette goes and they leave it there. And so pretty soon they were rotating the cassettes. And so they called them blank villages. These were villages without a church. We're being reached, churches being planted simply by bringing the word of God for people to hear. And so we were like, what is going on? Now, 1972, Romulo was killed by the Shining Path. They caught him. He was coming back to his village. He found out that they had been rocketed, women, widows, and they were cold. They were living in caves. They didn't have food. So he brought it, tried to do it secretively with his father, a brother, and a cousin or an uncle. But on the way out, they were caught, and they were killed except for the father. They said, you're going to watch as we kill your son. And they killed Romulo. But then the back of that was broken. Now, because of that, we began to start saying, we got to start recording Scripture in other languages. How many languages are there? Oh, only 7,140. <laughs> <laughs> so we went, okay, but it, the Bible's got to be translated, you know, so how many Bibles, you know, how many New Testaments have a translation? Oh, there was about 1,400 at that time. Today there's 26, but there was 1,400 and we went, oh, okay, let's begin. So we took some prophets we had and we set up five studios and we thought, oh, you know, we'll record a language a year per studio. We recorded five languages in five years. Cost us 150 grand per language. And at the end of five years, all that great equipment was anchor material. It was worthless because technology had moved, right? And I was just thinking, man, God, you have chosen the wrong people to do this. <laughs> you know, we ain't got a clue. It is not working here. And certain people, some missionaries had come to us and said, oh, man, you know, you only need Spanish and Portuguese for all of Latin America. Those other 840 languages, everybody speaks Spanish. And so I was like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. In my, in my heart, I'm saying, I hope that's true. Well, one of the languages we'd recorded was the Quechua for Bolivia. 
because of Romola, I knew these 28 languages. And so when I was, the Bible Society General Secretary had pleaded with me to record, to let them be one of the first teams, I had agreed. Five years later, we get it. We had already sent hundreds of audio New Testaments now to the mountains. And we start one per church, one per group. And what we had discovered is this faith comes by hearing a listening process. We started looking at Scripture, you know, for our model. Good place to look, right? And all of a sudden, (laughs) you go back in Scripture and you go, huh, how many sets of the Bible, the scrolls, did they have? And you go, they had one. (laughs) And they lost it during the time of Josiah. Now, none of us think about that, right? You're just like, all right, we got three million people and they got one Bible. And nobody's literate. So what did they do? Well, Deuteronomy 6, you know, it talks about hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. So there's 1,850 references to hearing or heard. There's only 88 references to read or reading or read. And those are almost always, and Moses read it aloud to the people. So we went, oh. So in Deuteronomy 31, Moses commanded every seven years that the whole nation of Israel should be assembled And they were for eight days during the Feast of Booths to hear the whole five books of the law. So for a quarter of a day would be read aloud. And the people that were together to listen were every man, every woman, every child with understanding, and every foreigner. So behind you, you would have all the Arameans, Egyptians, all these other people groups. So as it was being read aloud in Hebrew, they would be translating it to these communities. And they would hear the word of God. Now, there was only three instances where that was obeyed, though. You know, well, four. I mean, Moses obeyed it, but then Joshua in the Valley of Decision. So the first leader, and then almost the last, Josiah. So nobody in between did it. And so you see the nation tumbling. By the time Josiah gets it, they've lost it. The secretary said, hey, we were rebuilding the temple. We found a book. <laughs> he said, read it to me. Open up, read it. And he starts ripping his clothes. And you're going, hey, this guy loves God. Why is he ripping his clothes? Well, later on in 2 Kings 23, you find out he had a shearer poles, bales, male prostitutes, houses for male prostitutes, female prostitutes weaving to Assyria in the temple. Could you imagine having that in the temple? You're rebuilding the temple. Hey, guys, we'll move you next week. We'll get you back in business. And then you re- you hear Genesis, Exodus, and you're like, I'm a dead man. <laughs> Well, what do I do? Well, Deuteronomy 31. So the last thing he hears is Moses' command, gather the nation to hear. So that's what he does. And so in 2 Kings 23, the whole nation is assembled. And you have the record of the greatest revival in Jewish history. From not prayer, not fasting, not singing. From simply hearing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then the second one is similar. Seventy years later. The people come out of captivity. They're rebuilding the temple, and they say to Ezra, we haven't heard the book of the law in 70 years. Bring it out. He brings it out. He starts reading it. People are on the ground throwing dust on their head, and they're saying, no, no, no. It's a time of worship. And so then they say, let's do it. As they read it, they hear Deuteronomy 31 assembled. So they said, let's come back at the Feast of Booths, which is just a little ways away. Build booze, and we'll listen again. And at that time is when we'll separate from our foreign wives, have burned your idols, and we'll repent. So you had this great revival. So by the time you get to Christ's time, the public hearing of the Word of God was the norm. They had made copies in all of the different churches and the synagogues. And so when Jesus was handled the scrolls, the people were still 95% illiterate, 
But this public proclamation of the reading of Scripture was normal. And that's why Paul told Timothy, pay attention to the public reading of Scripture. And so you see, you say, oh, man, it was always heard in community. I mean, when you sit down and you're reading Colossians, it doesn't take long before you go, hmm, this was not meant to be read individually in my quiet time. This was meant to be heard in a church as a group of people so we could hear it and talk about it and debate it and live it. It was communal. So we began to say, okay, can we just, can we do that? Can we, you know, so Romulo had given us an example. And then I met a guy named Theo Asari from Ghana, a national. And he had recorded the Ashante. And so I remember saying, how do we do this? And he was the same way. Morgan, if we have one, that's all we need. So I remember going with him to the first village, you know, you meet with the chief and elders and you say, hey, listen, we have the Bible in your language. And they're like, "Ah, no, God doesn't speak our language. And you go, yeah, no, he does. So you push the button and out of it comes their language. And there's just shock. Ah. And they grab, you know, the guy, the chief yells to a guy, he grabs a gong gong, which is a piece of metal. Bam, 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 bam. He goes through the whole village. And pretty soon, under the shade of the mango trees, you have the whole village, nobody missing, about 300 people. And you bring the audio Bible out, and you put it, and you push play, Matthew 1. And as it's played, it's like all sound is just vacuumed out of the village. Nobody moves, nobody twitches. And then when you look in the people's eyes, you realize they're not here. You could realize they're not, they weren't with us under the tree. Now, we had learned that the people wanted drama. So we had done this drama recording in English. That's what they wanted in their language. Because in oral communities, anything that's important comes to you in a story, parable, proverb, song, or drama with memory cues. That way you can hold on to it because you don't own it until you've memorized it. So it's not like us. We hear it. We say, okay, I put it on the shelf when I want to know it. I can go. If you don't memorize it, you ain't got it. So they want to memorize. They want to hear something four and five times, because then they will have memorized it. The other thing we didn't know for years, we watched this, you know, they would disappear. We didn't understand what was going on. Well, oral people have a circular worldview. You and I have a linear worldview. So we think in lists, we think in lines. Today, yesterday, 500 years ago, 1,000. So when something happened a 1,000 years ago, okay, we can learn from it, but that person or people have no influence on my life. But in oral communities, Buddhist, Hindu, animist, folk Islam, all of your ancestors coexist with you. So if you offend an ancestor that lived a thousand years ago, they can bring sickness and death to you now, today. So when they're hearing the story of Jesus, they weren't hearing something that happened 2,000 years ago. It was their language. And so if they hear a story in their own language they cannot separate from it. They literally enter it, and it's as if it was happening to them right now. So people would be weeping. People would have demons cast out of them when Jesus cast out. People were healed when Jesus was healing somebody else. They would cry out and get healed. And you're just going, what in the world is going on here? Now, in some ways, it's actually Jewish, right? Think about it. Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who's with him? Elijah Moses. Dead? Or alive. <laughs> now, the minute you say alive, there's a lot of stuff going on if they were alive, right? Which they were. And you realize, okay, they were alive. They weren't in a grave. They were alive. And then the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? 
Lazarus, he was dead, but he was somewhere <laughs> with Abraham, right? And then, you know, so later when he says we're surrounded by this great host of witnesses, we all think it's witnesses that have signed a piece of paper. Mm. You look in Revelation and you hear that all of these people under the throne calling out, how long, O sovereign Lord, until you avenge our blood. They're aware. So that's when Jesus says, I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of the living. So actually, this whole imagery that they have is very, but they enter it. Now, one of the things that shook us or shook me was I thought we were producing the audio Bible because there was 3 million churches among the extreme poor. And 98% of them had never been able to read scripture in their language because of illiteracy or because of the Bible was in English or French, a language that they couldn't speak or read or understand. So we were producing the audio Bible to disciple people, Christians. We were going to the church, the pastors, the leaders, and the average pastor in these churches had a sixth grade education. They just happened to be the only person that could read. They never had a day of any education, any religious nothing. They just picked up the English Bible and they could find their way or fight their way through one or two scriptures, and they were the preacher. So people would come to Sunday, you know, under the thatch, and they would sing and shout and dance and pray. And then Tuesday, they would be out having sex with the neighbor's wife, getting drunk on Wednesday, going to the idol feast on Thursday, being drunk again on Saturday, in church Sunday, singing, shouting, and dancing. So we found when we put the audio Bible in the church, man, the whole village, the whole church transformed. People stopped beating their wives. They stopped getting drunk. They burned all their idols. It was total transformation. But the unexpected was nobody had ever had anything in their language before. So the whole village would turn out. So we had all these people coming to faith in Christ from hearing the Bible. And so I began to ask people, listen, what, what scripture caused you to come to faith in Christ? And one out of three times, they would say, oh, the genealogy. When I heard the genealogy of Jesus, that's when I accepted Christ. And I'd be like, what? You know, one people group told me, oh, Morgan, you know, the Bible is so powerful. The genealogy is so powerful that we've made a song out of the genealogy. And when we want to evangelize a village, we go and we sing that genealogy. Then we invite people to come to faith. And I'm like, I don't get it. So about 20 years ago, I was in San Jose, a group of Christian business guys, and I spoke. I told two stories about genealogy, and this white business guy comes up to me afterwards, and he is not happy. And he is just like, you need to stop that. The genealogy has no value, and I know you think this is fun. He was not happy. Well, there was one black guy in the room, and he was an African from Zimbabwe. And he jumped in with both feet to defend me. He was like, no, 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 the genealogy is my favorite part of the Bible. He says, you got to understand our culture. He says, in Africa, we don't care how wealthy you are. We don't care what school you went to. If you're going to speak in our village, the only right you have to speak is based on who your daddy's daddy's daddy is, your genealogy. And he said, I come from an important tribe in Zimbabwe. I come from a chieftain clan. And I am the firstborn of my father, who's the firstborn of his father, who's the firstborn of his. So whenever there's a tribal event, we have to go back to the tribal area. Well, the women, my aunties, will teach all of the women our genealogy and song. So when we come into the community, they will come out to meet us dancing and singing. Enoch, son of Zechariah, son of Enoch. So by the time we get to the center of the village, they know somebody important has come. And all of a sudden, it was like, 
damn, then I understood what was happening. Because you come into these villages and you push the button. And when the genealogy started, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. Abraham was the father of Isaac. The village would go quiet instantly. And everybody would lean forward. And you're going, okay, I don't know. Then after 14 generations to David, man, the quiet in the village was just quiet. Then 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, the quiet was palpable. I mean, you could feel it, the intensity. Then 14 generations from there to Christ, nobody moved, nobody twitched. And then suddenly, a virgin gives birth to a baby. John the Baptist comes screaming from the wilderness, repent. They all know their sin. And they're scared to death of eternal death. They know their sin. Then Jesus, baptized, goes to confront the devil, comes out, chooses his disciples. Then he begins to preach, right? Now the concomas make a dollar a day. And what's the first thing he says? Blessed are the poor. And they're like, I mean, it just, no. You know, and their minds are going, no, blessed are the wealthy. Blessed are those who mourn. No, blessed are those who rejoice. Blessed are the mercy. No, blessed. Turn the other cheek. Love your, I mean, by the time he is done with the Sermon on the Mount, he has literally shredded everything they believe. And they have a problem. They want to reject him. But he has the greatest genealogy of anybody who has ever spoken. And he's spoken their language and his right to speak is absolute. And in 45 minutes, you'll have old men that worshiped idols their whole life, bringing them out and saying, how do I get into this kingdom of God? How do I accept Christ? Missionaries would have been there 30 years when a handful of people and a whole village will come to Christ, listening to the word of God in their language for the first time. And you just go... So with those experiences, we just started saying, oh, no, I don't know. So I remember going to Bolivia. We had sent 500 audio Bibles in Quechua to the mountains. And I went with evil intent. I actually was hoping to find out that people had told me that they don't need their language, you know, Spanish and Portuguese. I was like, okay. So I went, and I remember meeting with the first pastor, and I have a translator with me, and I'm like, okay. And so we're talking, and... I said, so what language do you preach in? He said, Spanish. And I was like, yes. And I said, so did you get one of the Spanish audio Bibles? Yes. And I said, how did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I said, how, how did the people like it? And he goes, well, you know, nobody speaks Spanish. So I'd have to stop it and try to translate. And I said, wait, wait, wait. You just told me you preach in Spanish. I said, if they don't speak Spanish, what do you preach? And he said, oh, I, I hear something on the radio and I'll preach that same thing six or seven Sundays in a row. I said the same thing. He said, they don't know it's the same thing. They don't speak Spanish. I'm going, what? <laughs> How many people did you have in your church? 25, he says. But now, he says, I've got 85 because I got the audio Bible. And he started talking about how moral transformation had come, how hope had come, how peace had come, how people stopped beating their wives as they heard Quechua. And he said, you know, when people hear Quechua, they weep and they sob. And so I said, well, what stories or story causes them to weep? He said, oh, the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And I just went, okay, that seems strange. <laughs> so I go to the next church, and the pastor tells me he preaches in Spanish or preached in Spanish. Now, you know, I'm not totally dumb or stupid, so I start saying, okay, you know, how many people speak Spanish? Nobody. Why do you preach in Spanish? Then he said, well, that's the language that the missionaries told us God spoke, that he didn't speak our language. We didn't know God spoke our language till we got the Quechua audio Bible. And he says, now 90% of the village comes to listen 
And the same thing, you start talking about moral transformation, salvation, beatings, people stopping going to the brujos, the witches. And then he made the same comment. He said, when people hear the Bible and catch with, they just weep and they sob. And I said, what story? He said, oh, the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And I went, what? So I turned to my translator and I went, buy that story. Well, he was Spanish. You know, two-thirds of the people of Bolivia are Indian background, but not him. He was Spanish. He said, I don't, I don't know. So over that week, I visited seven villages. In every village, it was the same thing, moral transformation, weeping and sobbing. Now, when we do a listening program, we always have people have a time of question and discussion afterwards, just like Jesus. He walked with his disciples, he taught, and then he had them engage. No preaching, just inviting questions. So we train the facilitators, don't preach, don't answer the questions. People ask you a question, turn the question back to them. So I started asking, okay, so people are weeping and sobbing over this story. What questions do they have? And they just said, the people just say, my heart hurts. My heart hurts. Why does my heart hurt? Can we hear that story again? So this is in every, I get in the last village and I'm in this old beat up taxi on a dirt road and I'm driving out and I'm just saying, Lord, I just, you're trying to get through to me, but I have no idea what's going on here. What is happening? And the Lord just began to download to me. He reminded me of Romolo before his death. And he had told me that he had fled the mountains. Pastors were fleeing the mountains to go to the capital city, Lima. And he said, Morgan, our churches were in the mountains. So we would go to the pastors, the Spanish pastors, and ask, can we use your church on a Sunday afternoon or Tuesday? And he said, we were told, no, you're filthy, you're dirty, you're animals. A few would allow it, but he said within weeks, the Spanish people would say, we, we don't want those dirty, filthy Indians sitting on our pews, and they would drive us out. When I had come to Bolivia, the Bible Society had explained to me that for 500 years, of Spanish domination, the Indians had not been considered human. It permitted slavery if they weren't human. So in 1965, it had been ruled that the Indians of Latin America had a soul <laughs> Wow! by the Catholic wow. Church. So all of a sudden I went, oh, I know what's going on here. Because I'd read this study about what I'd been experiencing. The study said that oral people, when they hear a story in their language, cannot separate themselves from it. And if they identify with somebody in the story, they will join that person. So what was happening is they were hearing hope was being birthed in their hearts. God understands our language. But as hope was being birthed, they come to the story in Mark 5 where a woman with an issue of blood sneaks up behind Jesus. And in their culture, a woman with an issue of blood is not to touch anybody. She is unclean. And without thinking, they identified with that woman, and they were going with her to touch Jesus. And when they touched Jesus, just like her, something was happening inside of them. And when Jesus turned around and said, you touch me, they were crying out in fear because they thought he was going to say, you stinking Indian, get your dance off. But instead he said, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you whole. And they just began to sob and say, my heart hurts. My heart hurts. Why does my heart hurt? And the pastor said, all we had to do is say, your heart hurts because Jesus has walked by you. We opened the altars, and that was the story that was bringing the catchers to Christ. And in that moment, in the back of that taxi, I just went, oh, man. We're going to have to record Scripture in every language. They have to have it in their mug of their tongue. Wycliffe and the Bible societies are right. It has to be in their own language. You think about it, 
And a question comes, in the Garden of Eden, what language did Adam and Eve speak? I always thought Chinese, because, you know, there's more Chinese than anybody else. <laughs> I never thought about that. That's a good question. God's language. There was only one. Isn't that funny that we don't think that? There's only one language. It was God's language. And so when we get to the Tower of Babel, God took his language, and I see it as this huge marble ball, and he just took it and he, and he busted it up into 7,140 pieces. And so English got a big piece, Chinese got a big piece, and the Kakwas got a teeny piece. But we're not translating the Bible into people's language as if God doesn't speak their language. It's his language. He always spoke that language. It's that piece of his language. All we're doing is taking the piece of language that God speaks to them in and recording or translating so they can hear the word of God that God spoke always in their language. So when we gather all of the languages, Revelation 5 and 7, where it says, under the throne I saw people from every language, tribe, nation, people. What you see is it's going to take every language of the world reassembled to actually represent the fullness of the language of God. Wow, that's powerful. So anyways, that's what we have decided now currently we've we've recorded over 1600 languages so we've gotten better at it <laughs> you know took us <laughs> one language a year now we're recording a new language basically every two days it takes 6 months but we have 52 teams national teams so when a Wycliffe translator is done we send a team of two it's in Ghana they're Ghanaians they go up lived in the jungle or live in the bush convert a mud hut into a studio. They get 25 voices if they can find them. And those 25 voices will do 180 voice parts. Matthew, the narrator, will also be the blind man in John. Jesus, son of David. He'll be the angel in Revelation. Whoa, whoa, Babylon the Great. So we take the 25 best voices. In some places, we can only have two or three voices that can read. So we'll have 10 or more illiterate people and the one or two literate will actually, we'll put them in the studio, they'll have headphones on, and the one who can read will read it to them. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on it. And the person in the studio, fortunately, the great mimics will say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. So it takes 10 hours of recording to get one hour finished. So once it's done in the field, then it comes back to our studios here in Albuquerque, and we have a team of people that then... Every line is numbered. So there's over 10,000 lines in the New Testament. So every line is numbered. The music is then correctly put in by line and then the sound effects. Now, the only struggle you have is English is one of the most efficient. All major languages are efficient with time. So English, the whole New Testament is 18 hours. The Navajo is 42 hours. Why? Our word for railroad. Their word for railroad is the black horse that rides on two metal rails that spits black smoke out the back. So every time we say railroad, they say the black horse that rides on two metal rails that spits black smoke out the back. So we had one language we just did. It was 60 hours long, the New Testament, three times as long as English because they don't have words. So Arabic, French, Spanish are all 18, 19 hours. But as we get to the smaller languages, it's getting harder and harder and harder. So we do a drama recording. Once that's done, then we put it on what we call these devices or proclaimers. In Spanish, they call them proclamadores. And they are a solar panel device 
the Africans like them because they say they drink the sun. So six hours in the sun and they recharge the batteries and the batteries recharge 3,000 times. So you can hear the whole New Testament a thousand times. They can carry four languages. So oftentimes, you know, you have in small cities or areas, you have people that speak multiple languages. If you're in a school, education may be in English. The trade language may be Ashante, and my mother tongue may be Ewe. So we would put all of those languages on it, and then they could listen. This one is loud enough that a thousand people can hear it easily. And it's made out of the same material you make a football helmet out of. So it just lasts forever. And then we have many communities. So Africa, they like these in India because they use them for evangelism. They can broadcast for the whole village. In Asia, a lot of places in Latin America, they prefer the smaller one. Same thing, batteries recharged 3,000 times, solar panel, no hand crank, four languages. This is about 100, 200 people can hear it easily. But they like it because they can put it in a bag easier and it's easier to hide. And so that's what we do. So once that's done, then we work in partnership with nationals primarily. We don't have our teams in the field. We've, from the very beginning, chose to partner with people. So we'll go into Nigeria, and the programs in Nigeria will be called Faith Comes by Hearing, but they are programs of the Nigerian Bible Society. The Nigerian Bible Society trains the church to do the listening. They will give a church an audio Bible. They'll visit it three times to make sure they're doing the listening, see how many people are listening, what the conversions growth is, and then challenge them to use it for evangelism. But it's their program. And so we've raised the money. We've provided the bikes. We've provided the proclaimers, the funds, the shipping and duty. Donors here provided that, but it's their program. And so we do everything through about 500 major partners. So like one of those partners is the Timothy Initiative. I've already planted with them 26,000 churches. Now they're planting the churches, but what we have found, they found, is the audio Bible is this amazing tool. So we use the Jesus film, the audio Bible, and print. So we will find the church planners want to go out. We'll give them an audio Bible. They go out in training. They go to a village, find a man or woman of peace. Now, oftentimes, they're going to a community where they already have a friend or an uncle or an aunt or a mom or dad, and they set up a listening group. People have never heard anything in their language, so they're interested. They start listening and listening. Every week, this person comes back. Then there's that Kairos moment where then they bring the Jesus film and they show it. publicly if possible, if not hut by hut or family by family. And it makes then a whole visual of the life, death of Christ. And it's very helpful because many people have never seen a temple. They don't know what a priest looks like. And so in India, they think it's a naked guy with a dot here and the temples with all the gargoyles and the blood. And So to see the temple, and then they think Jesus is Western. You know, he drives a Mercedes. So now they're seeing him walk everywhere and his disciples. And so then they recognize. So those imageries, and it makes a call to faith. But we want them to have heard Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially in the Hindu environment, because there's three million gods. And and most of them had 30 or 40 local gods or goddesses. So when they hear Jesus, they're like, this is a good God. He's going to be the 55th God I've got. And they're going to add him. Give me a picture of Jesus and on the wall, we're good. By the time they've heard Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they've been healed, delivered, and they recognize Jesus saying, I'm the only way. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to be baptized, and you're going to deny all other gods. So when they hear the film, see the film, it's then a call to conversion and denial of all other gods. 
And so those that come to faith then are put in this basket, this listening group basket that has been formed from gathering each week to listen. That then forms the church. Then the Bible Society, American Bible Society, through a network of 147 national Bible societies, will provide one Bible, printed Bible, per family. And so though most of the people are illiterate, you may have a 12-year-old daughter who's gone to school and she can read. Now, she can read in the trade language, not my mother tongue. But it's still the orthography is the same. And by listening together, she can hear and learn to read. And now we give that one Bible, which has the New and Old Testament Psalms in it. And so when they have tea, then they can hear it. And that tool, the audio, the visual, we call end-to-end. And that process of, of working with church planters using the audio, the Jesus film, and the text allows the Bible then to disciple and form a foundation and plant churches in a way that they stand. Whereas before we go in, show a film, people come to faith in Christ, and then, you know, we leave and people don't, you know, they can't read a Bible, they can't, and so, you know, they just blow away because they have no foundation. And so that becomes the tool set that we use. Now, we've done about 1.3 million programs around the world. So a program, again, is a church, a school, a prison that is given a proclaimer on the condition that they will gather all of their people, just like Deuteronomy 31, 9 to 13 commanded, to assemble, to listen together. And then after a 30-minute less time of listening, we'll allow at least 30 minutes for people to ask questions or to give input on what they've heard. We call it head, heart, hands. What did you hear? So the facilities, what, what did we hear? What was the story about? Jesus walked on water. The devil comes to steal and kill. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, what touched your heart? How can Jesus tell me to forgive my enemies? You know, in Rwanda, that person macheted my brother, raped my sister, and you're telling me I'm a, uh, there's no way. That's not what he's asking, is it really? And so the conversation, and then after the conversation, head, heart, what touched your heart, what didn't you like, what you like, hand. And hand is, what are you going to do with it? If you hear the Word of God and don't do anything with it, you might as well forget it. So what are you going to do? And then also, if people need healing or other things, it's in that moment that you bring them out, and the final is prayer. So we teach them a very simple oral, you listen, head, what happened to your heart, what has touched you, what you liked, didn't you like Hand, what are you going to do with it? And then the final one, prayer. Because without prayer, there's no way without the Holy Spirit you can forgive people that killed your mom or your dad. can't do that. And so then we've set up a program. Now, on average, it will start four listening groups because people share. And so on average, that one proclaimer is used four different locations. So the groups are 25, 35. I mean, some have been 5,000. But 25, 35 is the average and there'll be four groups. So there'll be over about 90 people on average who listen. Half of those people will be brand new believers. So it costs $157 to provide the proclaimer, the training, the distribution, the follow-up. And that will, over a year's time, disciple people by having them listen from Matthew to Revelation in their own language, in a conversation, and then just continue. And so we believe that fulfills the call of the Great Commission to baptize them in the name of the fathers, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And so listening from Matthew 1 to Revelation 22, and it just becomes a part of the tradition of the church. They just start listening over and over and over again. So that's the first record and then get it used. Now the 
third thing that we do is we do digital distribution. So we have what we call a global Bible network. So the first thing we have done is we've created a Bible brain. So you can go on and look for the Bible brain. I can send you the links. That Bible brain has all of the 1,600 audio New Testaments and texts. Plus, we've created gospel films, Salumo films in a thousand languages. So all of those are available. And so we have an open API. And for those Bible societies in Wycliffe always who have given us permission, we then give our partners access to that. So one of the most widely used apps in China is called WeDevote. They don't mention anything about faith comes pairing, but all their audio and text comes from the Bible brain. So we give them an open API. They come in, they write code, and they can put it on Android. They can put it on iOS. They can put it on the website. And so we have several thousand partners that access that freely, and then they can create their own apps, their own thing that way. From that, we also have 750 individual Bible apps. The majority of the world is semi-connected, and so they use Android phones, cheap Android phones. And as you know, many people have phones. They have no cellular service at all. They use phones very different than we do. They take pictures with them, and they can transfer data phone to phone. So what we've done is we've created apps that you can download to your phone, and then you can go back in the bush, and you can all phones talk to each other. You can then transfer it phone to phone using an app. So you can transfer in two minutes the whole audio New Testament and text from my phone to somebody else's phone with no internet, no cellular. So we put those then from that site also in the Amazon Play Store. And those in the Amazon Play Store are smaller because they only have one of the Gospels. So you can download it, get a 30 megabyte file, and then as you want, you can download more. And then we try to knock on every single digital device that speaks one of the languages. So all of the 1,600 languages we have represent probably 85 to 88% of the world's mother tongue speakers. Because as you know, Russian, English, Spanish, you know, it's that 80-20 rule, right? So these 1,600 languages, small and great, represent 85% of the world. So 85% of the connected devices speak speak, those speakers speak one of the languages. And although Amazon and Facebook and all of those places, uh, Google can be dark places, right? Well, they still allow us to distribute the Bible. So what we do is we pay them because they know what language you speak because of the searches you do. And so we will spend about $4 million this year knocking on every single cell phone and every device in the world offering them the opportunity to download free the audio Bible or to watch one of the gospel films. So like last month, we we knocked on 200 million people's phones and devices, and we had 1.5 million of those people download an audio Bible in their mother tongue. So we don't want to just record it. And even though the group listening is the most powerful and most of the people in those areas don't have phones, we still want to be able to do all. So we want, by the end of 2033, which we have a vision to record Scripture in every language, every year we want to make sure that no person could say, I wasn't offered the opportunity. We want to knock on your phone and say, would you like to hear the Bible in your language? Would you like to watch the gospel film? That's the fourth thing we do is we do the gospel films. So we actually provide Lumo, the Green Family, 
helped create four films. Well, they didn't create, they funded afterwards four full-length films, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that were done to be voiced over. They were actually done with the intent of being voiced over. And Hannah Leader, who created them, had a vision of doing it in a thousand languages, but she didn't know about us. And so she ran out of money, and they did three or four languages. And so when LUMO was filmed, the LUMO organization, Tessie DeVore called us, and we said, we'd like to put it in a thousand languages. We have 1,600, but we need some B-roll because it's made for English, and most of our languages are 30 40 50% longer. If we can get some B-roll, we can extend it and do that. So she sat down with Hannah Leader and said, hey, we've got this organization, Faith Comes by Herring, and, and well, let me show you what they do. So first she showed them some small groups. Their focus is getting people to use Scripture by putting them in groups where they can listen and discuss, and now they're using the film. And so she showed films in Cuba where we have 8,000 Catholic churches that are using the films to study Scripture. And she reaches in her purse and pulls out a Kleenex. You know, English people don't have much emotion, but she's tearing up and she's going, what? Tressie asked her, what's going on? She said, well, nobody knows, but that was my original vision, not to have it on Netflix, but to have it. It was for it to be small groups in churches to gather to listen. She's, you know, she's crying open. She says, well, okay, but, you know, they, they want to do something. I'm not sure you'll be okay with it. Says, what? They want, to, they want to put it in a thousand languages, but they need some B-roll to do it. She reaches in her purse again, grabs a Kleenex, starts. She says, what's wrong? She says, I never told anybody this, but I felt like God wanted me to put it in a thousand languages. And I just, I never knew how that could be done. And we were saying, hey, you know, we have them word for word. And that's how you created the film. So <laughs> on two parts of the world, the Lord is creating the films and he's creating the audio. So it allowed us in actually four years to put films in a thousand languages. So that's kind of the fourth thing we do is visual, especially for children, youth. We're a visual generation now. And then the fifth is we do oral Bible translation. So about eight years ago, Wycliffe or SIG Company and Pioneer Bible Translators came to us and said, hey, you know, the last 2,000 languages, there's no literacy, there's no orthography. These are small languages. They're never going to have literacy or education in their language. So we spend, you know, seven years, eight years translating the Scripture for them, but we're only going to translate it so we can record it. Isn't there any way we could go straight from the audios you're doing to just doing it orally? Could we do that? I mean, they have to translate every day anyways. Most of these tribes, 10, 20% of them are intermarried because of education or trade. They've had to speak another language. So they speak one of the languages you've already recorded. So we spent, have now spent about $5 million creating a software we call Render, which is very simple. It's just touch. So illiterate oral people, you know, you've seen your kids or grandkids, my grandkids, you know, they can't read or write, but man, they just move through any device. So you create it where it's color-based, image-based, touch. And so they basically touch it, listen to Scripture in a language of understanding. It, has, it can carry three languages. After they've heard it, then they talk together, how would we translate it? How would we say that in our own language? They whiteboard it. So they'll just take a white sheet of paper or the ground, and they'll just draw out the images. So, you know, the women with the two mites, the two pennies, they draw the temple, the box, people put with wealthy people with money, the widow with the, you know, torn clothes, Jesus, the 12 disciples, and then they record it. 
And then they listen. No, we didn't do it. They may record it 15 times over and over until they get it right. Then once they've got it right, another team will be working. I mean, these are remote people groups where there's no electricity, so it's all done in the day. You know, they've never had a computer, so you're teaching them just these basic things, how to get around. And so everything image-based, they say, okay, it's done. And then it transfers over to the other people with their system, and they listen to it, and they make comments orally. No, 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 you used a borrow word. That's not our word. This is a Spanish word. You should use this word. And they orally give that instruction. They listen to it, change it. And then in these communities, we're actually getting a whole gospel of Luke. So normally in translation, it takes you five years to learn the language, create an orthography, a dictionary. Then you begin to translate. Well, here we're translating Luke in 10 months. And it's one-sixth of the whole New Testament. And once you've got that, you've got the key terms. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. And so now it speeds up rapidly. But while you're translating, every two weeks or week when you get the next section done, you'll, in these mountain communities, you'll see they're arguing over in, on the Pacific Islands who gets to grind the coffee, who's going to roast the peanuts, because they're going to get to listen to the next section of Scripture that they've never had. And they all gather in the dark. The only light is the little computer, you know, have their coffee, they have their peanuts, and they're listening to the scripture for the next time. And this is the meaning check. So you're trying to make sure that what was translated, the meaning is, is fully connected. And that's not as easy as you think. One of the communities they were listening, they heard the story of John the Baptist. And they said, well, what does that tell us about John the Baptist? You know, he came neither eating or drinking. And they said, wow, powerful warlock. Everybody was like, whoa, 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 whoa. what do you mean warlock? <laughs> they said, well, you know, we have warlocks in our tribe. And if they hate somebody or somebody pays them enough, and if they're powerful enough, they'll release their spirit at night and they'll go eat a person's soul. And that person will die within the next week. But when the warlock wakes up, he's not hungry because he was eating a soul all night. So John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking, so he must have been so powerful that he was just eating soul after soul after soul. So, so they send this down to the translation consultant, and they send back, all right, change that to John the Baptist came fasting. So they change it, record it, put it back out. Oh, okay. Yeah, he came. Okay, no problem. <laughs> so you have to get these meanings down correctly. But as we're doing it, people are coming to faith in Christ. One of the translations teams, you know, the translator was helping them, and the men were gathered, and they were with the story of Jesus weeping, and, you know, he was sweating blood, and they were saying, why, you know, why is he sweating blood? What's going on? And, and the lady was saying, well, he's carrying the sins of the world. God is going to reject him and punish him. It's not just the cross. He's going to be punished for our sins. And they started talking for our sins. One of them said, yeah, but for all our tribe sins. So he said, well, yeah, for all the sins of Africa. So he said, not just Africa, but for the world. And all of a sudden, there was just a moment of hush, and the men began to sob. And it's, it's really bad to be seen as a man crying public. And they just yeah. yanked their shirts up and just pulled them over the heads as they just sobbed, as they understood. And she said, I thought we were going to just have to stop the translation because it just wasn't... You know, they just couldn't get control. And so after about five plus minutes, it, the sobbing stopped. They took the shirts down, waved their face, and they looked at each other and said, now we understand it. Now let's translate it so that our people understand it. So oral Bible, there's 2,000 languages. And so what we're 
seeing is with Wycliffe and everybody, everybody's saying it's oral. And if we're going to finish by year 2033, so every tribe, every nation, Illuminations is a movement of families like the Green family, the Barnharts, and the 10 top Bible translation agencies who have joined together and have said, we believe by 2,000 years after Christ's death, 2033, we could see a translation done in every language of the world, which would fulfill Matthew 24, 14, right? Matthew 24, you're talking about end times. And they're saying, when is this going to happen? He said, well, there's going to be wars, rumors, wars. There's going to be famines, pestilence. But by 2414, he says, but the end is not yet, because the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to the whole world and to every nation. Then the end will come. Now, that word nation is the same word used in the Great Commission that we're supposed to make disciples of all nations. The word nation is language, tribe, tongue, people. So if you ever wondered why Christ hasn't returned yet, well, there's some 4,000 people groups that still have not had Scripture in the language. 2,000 have no work going on. 2,000 at least have something happening. And so by year 2023, it would be possible that every nation would have Scripture. It doesn't mean Christ will return at that moment, but what it does mean is for the first time in the history of the world, we can begin to say, Lord Jesus, come, come. Wow, that is a powerful story of just how everything started in a school bus, traveling to how God crafted and formed the ministry that you guys are doing, and to how he has pieced together all of these organizations now that are, are cooperating together in, in a truly incredible manner. And we've been able to see little pieces of that throughout this podcast to how God is is connecting organizations like that to this this grander vision, which is so evident in what you're sharing. This picture that really is, you know, something that is from God, God's plan and God's story, not our own or something that we've crafted and how we are each entering into that greater plan. And I've heard about the 2033 initiative. I find that very fascinating and really exciting for the acceleration of work that's happening. I'm curious, you know, from where you stand and the perspective that you have in knowing a lot of these other organizations and the partnerships, what are some of the biggest challenges that we're going to face between now and then to accomplish that goal? Well, the last 2,000 languages have not been reached for reasons. I mean, they're in the Middle East, they're in Indonesia, they're in Muslim nations, they're also in in remote islands, they're in Nigeria, northern Nigeria, where you've got Boko Haram and, and violence, they're in China, they're in India. So they're in places that are going to be hard. And so there's going to be a lot of people that will die getting these translations done. And most of it will be done by nationals, not by Westerners. We won't be able to get into these areas. And so providing simple technology, we're working on render to be able to be used on Android phones so that you could take it in and do all the recording, all of the translation orally on Android phone. And so technology will be, I don't think a hindrance, but it'll be one of the keys to getting it done. Another thing is going to be the Bible translation agencies are really supportive of oral. I mean, they've just, they're just out and out saying this is the way it's going to be done. But it's hard for the Bible translators in the field who have, they've got doctorate degrees, they're experts in Greek and Hebrew, one, to many times trust the nationals, and two, to make this change. You know, the Bible 
we've just come to believe it's in the written form. It's got to be written or it's not the Word of God. And so to have that transition to say, no, the Word of God was spoken. He spoke the words and the earth was was without form and void. And it was, he spoke, he spoke, not wrote. And so, yes, it is written, but it's written primarily to be heard. And so there's going to be a, it's going to be hard for people to change that mindset. And we're going to have to resource the nationals. So whereas before we've resourced us, you know, our sons, our daughters, our uncles, our grandparents have gone and died. And that's why the gospel is where it is. We've experienced the greatest revival in the history of the world in the last hundred years, and almost nobody knows it. Everybody in America is looking at their belly buttons. Oh, we got you. Christians that are strong in the United States have still funded and sent the light of the gospel. And why our nation, you can say it's not blessed, but it is. If you look at our finances, our economy, and what we have, we are still the most blessed nation in the world. Why do every, why does every foreigner want to be here and live here because of, of what we are? We are blessed. And it's because, I think partially because the schools, the hospitals, the, the Bible translations have all come primarily from the United States. We have been that. But this next stage is going to be the nationals. We're going to need to release it to them. And instead of ours, there will still be us dying as well. But they will be the ones that will be putting their lives on the land. And what they're going to be asking for is for tools and resources. And we need to be ready to resource them. Sometimes we'll resource somebody if they're from America. But if you're not from America, well, no, 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 no. We need to resource the national workers as they give their lives. They're going to be the ones that are going going to die. But... If you look at the revival, in 1901, it was only 5% of Africans were Christian. Today, over 50% of sub-Saharan Africa claims Christ. If you look at China, in 1950, there was only 750,000 evangelicals and about 6 million Catholics. Today, they say that there are probably 120 million Christians in China. And then when you look at India, India was 2% Christian from St. Thomas, but People who are in the know, church planning that's going on would say it's closer to 8% now. Latin America, 1% Christian. Now over 30% evangelical. And the Catholic Church has come alive and there's revival amongst the Catholic Church, you know, not just in Latin America, but around the world. And so you're seeing one of the greatest revivals and you're seeing the church that's coming up. Indonesia, people don't realize there's 49, it's the largest Muslim nation in the world, but there's 49,000 churches. In Indonesia, there's been a revival that has swept the world, and we haven't been aware of it. Well, Morgan, you mentioned last time we talked that there's there's all this work that's been going on for such a long time, and a lot of it we would look back and say, oh, that's that's what was going on there. That's maybe why that didn't work. And like you said, just in the Faith Comes by Hearing story, five years to translate five languages to the point where it's accelerated such an incredible amount. And now we're looking at 2033 as this place where we can say, you can check that box. And I'm wondering, are there other factors other than technology at work that have contributed to that acceleration? The unity of the body. Around the world, you're finding missions and national groups working together. Never seen the last 20, 30 years, you've never seen churches. You see Southern Baptist Assembly of God churches in the same meeting and passing material back and forth, talking about church planning, going together. 
and not one looking at the other. And I mean, if you go overseas and you look at missionaries, crew, YWAM crew, non-Pentecostal, YWAM is Pentecostal, they sit in the same room, hug each other, work together. And that's what you're seeing around the world. The body of Christ has gotten unified around the world. They've dropped their banners and they're just saying, let's get the job done. And that unity, I think more than anything else, is allowing the church to grow. The other thing that's happening is the national church. It's no longer a Western movement. Christianity is no longer Western. It started in Asia, (laughs) and it's finishing in Asia. Asians are what's carrying forth. China, you've got the Back to Jerusalem movement. The Chinese are saying, you know, the gospel came from the West to the East. We're going to take it from the East to the West. We know how to suffer and die. We're going to take the gospel back through the Middle Eastern countries. And although that's struggling, that's the vision of all the people of the world. They're the ones that are saying, we're going to get this done. I go to Indonesia, we've got lots of work going on there, and we're meeting with business people there, and they're saying, thank you, but no more. We will fund this from going forward. And I'm saying, please don't. Let us be a three-stranded court. We'll fund some, you fund some, and then let some other Asian country fund it, because sometime U.S. is going to have problems, and we're going to need you, and we don't want to stand alone. So let's all do it together. But that's their thought. No, we should be carrying our own load, and we should be funding... There's 700 languages in Indonesia. We, the business people, the church here, should be getting that job done. So you're seeing the national church rise up with a vision to reach the unreached. It's not a Western thing anymore. The Holy Spirit is touched. So I think the national church unity are two huge parts of why this is is actually doable in our generation. Yeah, I mean, just an incredible picture of the body of Christ, and it is so encouraging to hear all of these stories that you're sharing. It's, you know, it's stuff that we don't get to hear every day. I know it's probably more normal for you, but it just really, it's hard to to wrap your head around. I wish somebody had sat with me when I was, it took me about 15 years to understand even close to what I understand. I just wish somebody for an hour and a half would have just done what I did to you right now. Yeah. What, you know, illiteracy, orality, what are you, you know, yeah, absolutely. And there's still so much more to learn and so much more of God's vision to uncover just, you know, and how the many different phases, you know, even just faith comes by hearing has gone through. And I'm so interested to see what God's going to continue to do. So this podcast is predominantly, you know, American Christians, I would guess. And I know a lot of them, like me, will be wondering so what do we do? You know, we have been inspired by this vision. We want to be a part of this unified global church, accomplishing the greatest task that Christ left us. How does, you know, the, the accountant from Illinois, how does the you know engineer from Florida step into that mission and be a part of everything that you're describing? Well, first is personal. And so I would encourage everybody to download the Bible is app, Bible.is, and select one of the programs, maybe the 40-day program to listen through the four Gospels. And just over the next 40 days, listen yourself. Select one of the English versions. We have six different audio dramas, or if you don't like drama, you can turn the drama off, the music and effects, and listen. So one listen. But the other thing is when you're in there, kind of play around with it, you'll see there's a search function. And in that search function, you can look by country for what languages are in our country. So 
last week I was with an older friend of mine who's in his last years, and one of his care workers came in, and I said, what country are you from? And they said, Philippines. So I opened my Bible as app, and I just went, and I typed in, okay. It says, Bible versions view all. I touched it. I went country, put in Philippines. It brought up the 60 languages we have recorded. I said, what language do you speak? He said, Cebuano. I went down, found Cebuano, touched it, went to Mark 1, clicked it, and held it up. And his, he just went, what? I mean, he just couldn't believe he was hearing Cebuano in, in Kansas City. And he's like, where is that? What is that? And then at the very bottom, there's three little dots. So I touched those three little dots, and it says share chapter. So I clicked it, and I said, what's your cell phone number? And I typed in his cell phone number, click, bing, he got it. And he was listening to the Bible in Cebuano. So go in, listen, one out of four Americans speak a language other than English at home. We're a nation of immigrants. God has brought them to us. I know some of us spend all our time getting angry at, at immigrants or somebody being here. We were all immigrants. God brought them here. He says that he puts everybody in their place at a certain time that they might feel their way to God, even though he's not far from any person. Make sure if you're there, and if I'm in an Uber, I always, it's always a former. I'll ask, oh, what country are you from? And I, and I open my Bible, is I find it. What language do you speak? Now, is that your mother tongue? Because they're, think, you know, say French. If they say French after Africa, I'm like, that's not your mother. What's your mother? They tell her, I find it, click. Then I push play, and I hold it over. And they're always like, you know, it's like, wait, 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 that's Sisu. That's my language. You know, and they'll start translating for me. And then after about a minute, they disappear. They stop translating. They stop talking. And no matter how far you go, they just got lost. And they enter the story, and they're listening. And, and one of them just started crying. He said, I've, I'm back in my village listening with my family. Can I have that, please? Yeah. Boom, boom. And if you want, you can follow up because I've got their cell phone number. So I can follow up and say, hey, why don't we listen to John together? Every day, why don't you listen to a chapter? If you have a question, talk to me. And then invite them to church. So do something first. First, get yourself in Scripture. Second, look around. The mission field is around you. One out of four people, whether it's your hairdresser, the lady that does your nails, your gardener, the Uber driver, somebody. And do it once. And once you do it once, it'll turn you on. And you can do it again. So do that first. Then you've heard so many names. Bible Society, Wycliffe, Seed Company, Jesus Film, Faith Comes by Hearing. Just look some of those up. Look at us on Charity Navigators and begin to start giving. If you give anything, even if it's 50 to $100, so many of you guys can give millions, your heart will begin to be put. We'll start sending you reports. And as you learn about us, then God will start speaking to you, and then you'll start beginning to be involved. But give a little bit, because then you start getting aware. You'll start hearing the information, and then your heart will start registering. But first listen. First listen to the Bible yourself. And then there's a website we call live.bible.is, and that's a great place to see the films. So if you want to watch the films with your family and have that conversation, head, heart, hands, That'd be a great way to grab grandkids or grab your kids and family and just have a Bible devotion. Watch a chapter of film of the Gospel of Luke preparing for Easter or for Christmas right now. And every night, watch a chapter every day and then talk to your kids about what it means. And then hands, what are we going to do every time? What are you going to do based on what you've heard? 
We spent a lot of time talking about unreached, unengaged people groups and how this is such an incredible opportunity to provide something that has not been available in these other languages before. But I'm curious, for reached people groups, like right here at home, it seems that this resource is not only available, but maybe ought to be more integrated into the churches that we're all going to in the way that back in the beginning, these tapes were distributed Do you see that being a helpful resource for churches all across reached nations to be encouraging? Because I've been in, I don't know how many Bible studies where I hear and I say myself, I I really ought to be reading scripture more. I really know I should be. I know that's going to create spiritual growth. And for whatever reason, life gets in the way. But on my daily commute, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm listening to stuff every single day. I have the time. It's maybe a matter of discipline. Do you see these resources that faith comes by hearing is already created having a role in in the western church for example yeah we're doing a campaign with dr randy frazy and westside church in kansas city where we hope to have 150 churches in kansas city we had about that last year in COVID, and all the pastors are preaching through john the seven i am so they're we're giving them kind of outlines, but they do their own sermons. They can use a sermon that's prepared, but they're doing it in partnership with Malaysia, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Ghana. And so over the 40 days of Lent, we're going to listen through the four Gospels. So if you look on the Bible is app, you'll see the 40 days. It's called one, one Lord, one city, one word, and then one reaching one. So what we do is the pastors then preach and challenge every member of the church to download either version or Bible is. And version has set up the one campaign as well. So if you already have version, you can use version. And then for the 40 days of Lent, you're going to listen through the four Gospels. And you're going to do it at 10 minutes. And then the churches in Kansas City. So any church can do this. Any church can do They can just look up 1kc.bible. So 1kc.bible. OneKansasCity.Bible, and all the resources will be there. And if they want to sign up, they can sign up and do it in their own city. And what we're hoping to do is do this city by city. So we're doing it. Hall of Hong Kong's doing it. Malaysia's doing it. Singapore's doing it. Accra Ghana is doing it. And then in Asia, a whole bunch of churches just throughout Asia are doing it together. And so you'll listen through the Gospels. But then they're preaching through the seven IMs. But then we've taken John and we've broken it out into the seven miracles, so the seven sections to watch. And so in small groups, whether in person or in Zoom, small group leaders are assigned, and you then sign up, and then you attend a watching or a Zoom group where you listen and watch, and then in community, you have these basic conversations about what does that mean to me. So you watch the seven miracles. And so any church, anybody who wants their church to do it, all the resources, the promotion, the sermons, the, the scheduling for youth, for children, there's children programs, youth programs, all of those are on the site, and we would welcome anybody. And what we want to do is see a movement where around the world, at different times, 40 days, maybe at Lent, at Advent, 40 days after Easter, where we begin to have these campaigns where the church comes together, and we all listen together in our own private, but then in community, we watch and we talk And then once we've started that, then we can continue. There's four Gospels. So if you find your group loves it, just keep going. Say, let's go through all of Luke over the next 40 days, or let's listen together. There's a a foundation called Grace and Mercy. You can look it up, and they've got an app. 
And their main target is they've got hundreds of business groups in New York City where the financial guys get together and gals, and they join once a week, and they listen for an hour or a half an hour together. And they have the Old Testament Psalms and New Testament. But we're made to listen to Scripture and community, just like eating, right? How many of us like to eat alone? <laughs> well, Scripture was not meant really. To, I think we've come to this private, personal time, but throughout history, that's never been the way Scripture's consumed. Scripture's always been consumed communally. But what we've done is anytime we come in community, we try to do a Bible study or preaching. But you're supposed you should hear communally, public hearing of Scripture. We should hear communally. So try that. Form a group of your friends and just say, hey, let's meet once a week by Zoom or for coffee, and let's just listen for 30 minutes. We'll go through the whole New Testament next year, and we'll just listen together and talk. Half hour dis- listening, half hour discussion. And what you'll find is it takes a couple, three weeks to get to the rhythm, but after the third week, man, it just gets lively. But always end with, what are you going to do? Because we're used to, in America, we just, Bible, we're just trying to absorb knowledge. We want to impress everybody with what we know. And the key is not what we know, it's what we do. What are we going to do with what we've heard? So you guys might do that. Go down to one KC, and I can have Janet send you the site. And just, I mean, the materials are there, and we would love to have you guys or other churches join in and maybe then see it done and then coordinate a citywide or a larger campaign. Bring oneness to a city. The nice thing is you can bring all of the the immigrant churches because you... You have scripture in every language, and you have four or five languages spoken in your church. They can listen, watch the film in whatever language they want. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> your language. Well, Morgan, this has just been a truly eye-opening conversation. We are so blessed to have you here with us and to share not only your personal story, but just this huge grand picture of what God is doing among millions and millions of believers all across the globe. And we're very excited to see what he will continue to do, not just by faith comes by hearing, but through the church. So thank you so much for giving us your time and your experience and and your stories. This has been a true blessing. Well, for us, one of the things we need the most is advocates, because so many people just don't know. Like you guys say, we never knew. And so you guys doing what you're doing is one of the greatest things. We know business people are heard by business people. So when you talk to people and you open the door for them and say, this is important, they'll listen to you. When I come, their first reaction is, all right, you're going to want something. And so the, I have to fight through all of the, the walls to get those down. You don't have those walls. So thank you guys for you know doing this finish line and, and bringing and encouraging people to be generous. It's, a, it's important. And I appreciate you guys taking the time out of your busy lives and doing it. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. And now I have one quick question for you. Do you know anyone who's living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we'd love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't have to have all the answers. They just need a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we'd be honored if you could connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at Finishline Pledge through our website at finishlinepledge.com or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Finally, 
If you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepudge.com slash episode 36. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.